Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the eighth day of December 2022, the date after the date which will live in infamy. And we'll play the uh, speech from FDR that was done on this day, declaring war. It's really just amazing how brief and to the point it was compared to today. Anyway, we'll get to all of that and more coming up. But don't forget to go to uh, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com to check stuff out, support the program, enter to win the battle of the billionaires. It's all explained there. Five bucks a month for the love of God. That's all I ask. And I appreciate every single one of you who support the show. All right, let us get started, shall we? We have a lot going on. There's a bunch of stuff happening in the world. We have to start off, of course, with the results of the Georgia race. Knock me over with a feather. Raphael Warnock was reelected as senator from Georgia. Now, there's a lot. It's funny. What is it? Success as a million fathers, but failure is an orphan or whatever. Isn't that something along the lines of what the saying is? And it's true. It's true, but it is worth looking at the failures of people in this case. Now, the the Trump wing of the party is saying it's that damn Mitch McConnell and the Republican establishment. The Republican establishment wing of the party is saying it's Trump and it's candidate selection, which is true. Probably both. Honestly, the people who profess the loudest that they had nothing to do with a failure usually are the ones with who have their fingerprints all over that failure. And especially, you know, those who scream first, we didn't have nothing to do with this, are the people who did, in fact, pull the screw out that caused the whole scaffolding to collapse. But it is worth noting when it comes to particularly Georgia, Candidate quality might have had a, a, a role in this. These are the results from the 2022 elections just held a month ago in Georgia. The Republican governor won by eight points. The Republican lieutenant governor won by five points. The Republican secretary of state won by nine points. The Republican attorney general won by five points. The Republican agriculture commissioner won by eight points. The state school superintendent, the Republican there, won by eight points. And the commissioner of labor won by seven points in Georgia this year. Herschel Walker lost by, it looks like, two points, 51-49, which frankly, for my mind, is that it's... You know, that's a hell of a lot closer than I thought it would be. It should have been won by the Republicans, and had Herschel Walker been a better candidate, hell, if Herschel Walker had been a good candidate, he likely would have won. But if you look back, David Perdue, two years ago, not exactly the most compelling candidate. Kelly Leffler, not exactly the most compelling candidate. I went to a dinner, I don't know, maybe a year ago maybe a little bit more, with Kelly Leffler. In Washington, D.C., a friend of mine works at a, 
a PR firm and she was starting an organization to, for voter integrity in, in Georgia, blah, blah, blah. Clearly it worked. It impacted. They won every race across the state except for one. But uh, she's much more engaging, much more, I don't know, much a better candidate in person than she is at a campaign event. I've watched her be interviewed. I've watched her be uh, at rallies and things. Not not a good campaigner. Some people just don't have it. Some people are, you know, you get them off stage and they're wildly, they're awesome to be around. They're hilarious. They're engaging. They have a lot of energy. And then you put them on a stage or you put them in an interview where they're asked questions and they just go, I just stick to my stock talking points. I'm wildly um, reserved, etc., etc. That was the way it was with Kelly Leffler. I don't know what it was with David Perdue, other than he's not. I mean, David Perdue clearly didn't appeal to Republicans that he got it blown out of the water when he challenged Brian Kemp for the governor's nomination this time around. So it wasn't even close. So. I don't know what his problem was, but Leffler's problem is that she's just, look, some people, it's not a matter of character flaw. It's not a matter of anything. It's just that they're not great candidates. On paper, they're wonderful. On paper, they're great. In practice, it's a different story. Herschel Walker on paper seems like a great candidate, doesn't he? He you know, was a hero in the state. Of course, it was 30 years ago, so uh, she um, is not, is not, um, it's, there are a lot of people alive now who don't remember his heroics. A lot of people who don't remember the national championship from 30 years ago or 40 years ago or whatever it was, whatever. But still, the name rings out. Problem is, you can't ring his doorbell. He doesn't live in Georgia, which is bizarre. Somebody being a legend in a st- if Cal Ripken here in Maryland, if Cal Ripken moved to I don't know, Cal Ripken still lives in the state, I believe so. But if Cal Ripken moved to actually, can yeah, Ripken's probably good enough. And I was going to go Brooks Robinson. Cal Ripken moved to Texas and lived in Texas and ran his minor league team out of Texas and ran his businesses out of Texas for 20 years. And then there was an opening in the Senate here, the governor's office or whatever. And he, oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to run for that. And suddenly, so he rents a place downtown and says, uh, vote for me. There would be a lot of nostalgia, a lot of goodwill toward Cal Ripken Jr., there would be. There are a lot of people who look favorably upon him. But then there would be another group of people who look at the situation and realize he's not, he doesn't know what it's like to be a Marylander anymore. Not that, you know, earning millions of dollars is going to be the best way to make him relatable to people, but that's just the the way of our candidates now. Most candidates are very wealthy people, but he hasn't lived in the state. The problems of Maryland 30 years ago are not the problems of Maryland today. The problems of Georgia 30, 40 years ago, I think it was 40 years ago for, uh, yeah, it was 40 years ago because it was the 80s. 40 years ago for Georgia are not the problems of today. Not that as, you know, the star running back 
winning the Heisman Trophy, winning a national title, you're really in touch with the problems of the average Georgian or what have you. But Republicans need to get past this idea that it's just a matter of name recognition. If you can get somebody who has the name recognition, or if you can get somebody to get the name recognition, you can make the name recognizable, that that's enough. That that's enough. People don't fall for that as much anymore. It's the famous people. I said, well, you know, uh, Republicans have elected some celebrities. Clint Eastwood was mayor of Carmel, California for a couple of terms, and he was all name recognition. No, Carmel, California is kind of small. Clint Eastwood actually ran. Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood went out and talked to people. He campaigned. Well, Republicans elected Sonny Bono to Congress. Yes, they did. He, I believe, was mayor before that, and he went out and busted his ass and campaigned for it. He did not campaign on, I'm Sonny Bono. I used to sleep with Cher back at the height of her powers. Vote for me. That wasn't how it worked. Also, Sonny got along with Cher. Cher and Sonny were still very friendly toward one another, whereas Herschel Walker, his ex, not so much. But then, you know, Raphael Warnock and his ex, not so much either. Media has changed a lot in those times. But name recognition simply isn't enough. There are a lot of times it is, particularly in races that don't get national attention. Debbie Dingle replacing John Dingle when he retired. That's easy. It's just the last name Dingle. That's not the same kind of recognition I'm talking about. When you've been in politics for a very long time is different than if you've not been in politics at all, but you're widely known. Donald Trump was sort of an exception to that rule. I know you're sitting there going, what about Trump? He had name, it was all name recognition in 2016. Donald Trump benefited massively the way that many times politicians do. Benefited massively by their, from his opponent. Hillary Clinton was reviled. Hillary Clinton earned that. Boy, howdy, did she earn that. A lot of people, myself included, not going to lie, gleefully voted for Trump expressly for the purpose of voting against Hillary Clinton. I fully expected Donald Trump to lose. I expected Hillary Clinton to win. But when I looked into the faces of my children in the future, I wanted to know that I had done everything humanly possible to oppose Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton Jr. the third. That she lost was a, a great gift from God, but I did not expect that. I thought I was just going out there. My vote was a protest, much like here in Maryland, voting for a statewide Republican usually is. Like, yeah, you know what? Democrats going to win, but I'm going to sit there and I'm going to make sure that the Democrats know how many Marylanders are. Because sadly, there's a whole bunch of people who don't vote because it's a foregone conclusion should vote probably in the Democrat primary, if you, especially if you live in the city of Baltimore. That's where you can have some influence. But there aren't, I don't think there are enough Republicans in the city of Baltimore to make a difference anyway. But down in Georgia, as with everywhere, you just put somebody with some name recognition on the back. Carrie Lake in Arizona. Carrie Lake has name recognition. She spent almost 30 years as a news anchor out there. Wasn't enough. She at least ran on some issues. She probably ran a little bit more combative of a campaign than it had to be. 
but uh, she lost. She lost. And you can argue about why she lost. You can say it was cheating. You can say it was incompetence. You can say it was a bet. Whatever it is, the end result is it doesn't matter. The Astros are still world champions, not this past year, but from, what, 2017, from when they were banging on garbage cans in there. It's still there. You can say that Lance Armstrong didn't really win the, those seven Tour de France's, except that he did win those seven Tour de France's. He was doping up. Yep, he cheated. And they took the titles away from him. But forever, people will know Lance Armstrong won those things. Probably everybody in that field was doping. Name recognition doesn't matter. And more importantly, and this I think I'm going to write about for my next column, Fox News doesn't matter. Now, there aren't many, you can't say this too much publicly if you ever really want to get on television. That's the thing. It's so sad that so many people live in fear, like, well, I can't criticize Fox News because I'll never get on Fox News again. I don't, my next book, whenever I get around to writing it, I want to be able to sell it on Fox News. That's really the only place anybody would buy it. That's the only place, the only shot you got on television because none of the other networks are going to have you. But I got to be honest with you. And this isn't a slam on Fox News. This is a slam on the candidates and how perverted their worldview is in thinking that Fox News is real life. Fox News is not real life. What is it? Not J.D. Vance. He actually won. J.D. Hayworth. J.D. Hayworth thought that he could unseat John McCain in the Senate from Arizona by appearing regularly on Fox News. Fox News was more than happy to have him. The Fox News audience hated John McCain, so he got his opponent. There he is out there. And the problem is that Fox News isn't enough. <laughs> it isn't anywhere close to enough. Mia Love ran for Congress one time. Oh, she was all over. She might as well have been Greta Van Susteren's co-host. She was on Fox News so often. She didn't even, she didn't win. She lost in the Republican district. She eventually won the next cycle when she appeared less on Fox. Now, why? Why? Fo well, people sit there. Fox is great for fundraising. It's not so great for vote corralling. What do I mean by that? Well, it's pretty simple, really. You get a nationwide audience of two to three million people, depending on which show you're on, who are, you know, a small percentage of which, but still that's a large number, will go to your website and donate to you if you say something that they like, if you are seem like a good candidate and whatever, you inspire them to donate to your campaign. An extremely tiny percentage of that will be able to vote for you. And money is great in politics. It does help you get your message out. But it doesn't vote. It doesn't vote. Look at this past election cycle. Republicans raised a ton of money and spent a ton of money, not as much as Democrats in some of these races, but it wasn't for candidates wanting for money. And you sit there and you, you listen to these people go, well, it wasn't candidate selection. It was Mitch McConnell not putting money. Mitch McConnell threw $18 million into Georgia didn't make a difference. If anything, it, it brought him close. You can sit there and say, well, if he'd another, done another $18 million, it might have pushed him across the line. You, you can't argue for that. You can't argue against that. It's ridiculous. But if you thought another $18 million would do it, Donald Trump sitting on a $100 million war chest in his political action committee, he could have broke off $18 million without a problem and won the race. He didn't. Money isn't enough. If you are on a show on Fox that gets 3 million viewers, right? 3 million viewers. In a nation of 330 million people, you're looking at 1% of the population. 
1%. Now you spread that across the country in your state, if you just divide by 50, but that's not the way it works. But if you just divide by 50 and then you bring it down to district and you divide by how many districts you got, you are reaching a handful of people who can actually vote for you. That's it. A handful of people who can actually vote for you. Herschel Walker spent more time on Sean Hannity's TV show than almost Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity had some days off. And even then, Herschel Walker was coming on the show, I think. That's all well and good, except for when you factor in the fact that very few people in Georgia are watching Sean Hannity's TV show. Maybe 10 to 25,000 people, maybe upwards of 50,000 people. Maybe. Just I'm just guessing here. That's it on any given night. So what are you doing to reach those people locally? Well, it turns out that Herschel Walker was not talking to local media which, as popular as Fox is, doesn't reach nearly as many people in a way that matters, in a way they pay attention to, as local media does. Local radio, local TV, you name it. Local newspapers, etc., etc. That's where Georgia went off the rails. That's where so many other candidates went off the rails. Now, I want to explain what I mean by, you know, Fox News and everything, because Fox is, like I said, Fox is great for fundraising. Fox is great for name recognition. It's not so great for winning elections, if that's all you've got. Herschel Walker was all over Fox News. He was not all over local media in Georgia. That's a huge, huge problem because the people in Georgia vote. Like I said, if you've got... Three million people watching, the odds of the the percentage of those people watching that you can get a vote from legally is very small. I'm not saying don't do Fox News. I'm saying if that's all you do is Fox News, you're going to lose. And quite frankly, you deserve to lose. If that's your whole outreach, if that's your campaign, let's just run a media campaign. I'll go to Friendly Media where I'm not really challenged. I don't have to talk issues. Herschel Walker didn't really talk issues. I have no idea what Herschel Walker, what his top three issues were in that campaign. I don't think anybody does. I've heard from people who live in Georgia. They're like, yeah, no, I don't know who. I'm not sure what he was running on, why he was running, what the justification was. So that's a bit problematic. You've got to understand that being a Fox News celebrity means that you, as a candidate, just it doesn't mean all that much. You can make a good living with it. If you get a gig with them, congratulations, you're, you're, you're making money. You probably shouldn't brag about it, but you, you know, you're making money for doing work that, honestly, it's, it's not hard. It's pretty damned easy. But it is not going to win you elections. Money will not even necessarily win you elections. There are plenty of people, and this is one of the things that you hear these people arguing, well, it wasn't denied him money. He didn't have enough money. He He had plenty of money. Herschel Walker had plenty of money. And you know what? He would have had more money had he been a better candidate. He really would have. If he had taken the time to, I don't know, pick a couple of issues, really educate himself on that, and campaign on those hammering Warnock on those issues while promising to do something specific about them or what have you, 
he could have won this. Losing by two points is surprisingly closer than I thought. Yesterday, I think I was saying it wouldn't surprise me if it was a 10-point slaughter. But, you know, two points is, is pretty damn good. It's still a lot. But it's still pretty damn good considering how bad of a candidate Herschel Walker was. I just hope as Republicans sit there and do all this infighting and they start arguing with one another and playing the blame game, it's one thing at which Republicans excel is pointing the fingers at other people. I think it's time that maybe they realize that the problem is co- the calls are coming from inside the House. That's the problem. And it's time to mix things up. You got Lee Zeldin, who ran for governor in New York. He, I think, would have been a great RNC chairman because he knows how to message, and he knows how to message in a hostile environment. New York, for Republicans, you don't get much more hostile than that. He announced this morning that he's not seeking the RNC chairmanship. Why? Well, he tweeted out, RNC chair Ronna McDaniel should not run for a fourth term. Okay, great. Let's do it. I won't be running for RNC chair at this time with McDaniel's re-election pre-baked by design. All right, that's a very defeatist attitude. But that doesn't mean she should be should be even running again or even be running again. It's time to uh, the GOP elects new leadership. It's time for fresh blood. Then why not run? Then why not run? There's a whole bunch of people here in the Republican Party who really do like the high road. Oh, I love the high road. And what I say about the high road, the high road gives you a wonderful view of your of your defeat. It gives you a great unobstructed view of your defeat. Congratulations on taking the high road. He sits there, Lee Zeldin says, I won't be running it this time because McDaniel's re-election is pre-baked by design. You ran for governor of New York as a Republican, dude. You want to talk about something where the results are pre-baked by design, and yet you came really close to winning. Not super close, but really close. A lot closer than anybody gave you credit for. So you can't say that you shy away from races where the conclusion is foregone, because I promise you, Congressman Zeldin, you'd have a much better shot at winning the chairmanship of the Republican National Committee than you ever had at winning the governorship of New York. Yet you took on one. Why would you not take on the other? You can't really complain about something if you're not willing to do it. You're in the game. You're in the arena. And he he released a long statement. I'm not going to bother you with the long statement. It's two pages long. It justifies this, and it lays out all the problems and everything. Now, maybe Lee Zeldin is being too cute by half, and he's out there saying, I will not seek this nomination, but if you guys keep calling for me to run, then I guess I'm going to have no choice. If you nominate me or if you elect me chair of the RNC over my, maybe some people just want, you know, Caesar twice refused a kingly crown and he made himself emperor. No, 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 no. All right, fine. I'll be emperor because... You people insist. Maybe there's that in this. And this could be part of the problem with the Republican Party, too, as they look at them doing their job as doing a favor or them doing what they claim to want is doing them, doing people a favor. It's not a favor. It's a job. 
And now you've got uh, Harmeet Dillon. Now there are two camps. There's the Ronna McDaniel camp that somehow has been labeled as horrible establishment, worthless, needs to go. And, you know, you can make an argument that Ronna McDaniel needs to go. I agree that Ronna McDaniel needs to go. I think that anybody in that position for too long loses touch with reality and becomes too entrenched. But the the Trump people, the Trump wing of the party coalescing behind Harmeet Dillon, and I like Harmeet Dillon on cable news. I don't know that she's good as RNC chairman. I'm seeing all these tweets going, well, Harmeet Dillon, well, she's a fighter. Okay, that's uh, great. That's uh, That's wonderful. You don't really need a fighter in the chairmanship of the Republican National Committee. It's nice. It's a good skill to have when you go into hostile territory, but you're not being invited on MSNBC all that often. What you need is a fundraiser. I don't know if Harmeet, maybe Harmeet Dillon has a deep Rolodex and can bring a lot more money in. I don't know. Ronna McDaniel can. Now, she's not very good at candidate recruitment, but the Republican National Committee, particularly the chairman, is mostly a fundraiser and a figurehead. They do the TV appearances because they have the job title. They go out there and raise the money because they have the job title, which is all well and good. They are not sitting there plowing forward with the Republican Party platform or choosing candidates and making, you know, this being the standard bearer of the party. That's not how the chairmanship works. Maybe it did at some point, but certainly not in my lifetime. So you're basically a fundraiser in chief. You can go on cable news and grouse all you want, take on and bloody the noses of other people, but they aren't, nobody's going, you know what, I'm going to vote Republican because I saw that, that uh, RNC chairman or chairwoman or whatever on TV and I really liked what they were saying. No, you have to like the candidate you're voting for. That's what matters. So is harm, the, the funny thing I find, or ironic thing, is that uh, Harmeet Dillon is now branded as the MAGA wing of the Republican Party's candidate. When Ronna Romney McDaniel is in that job because of Donald Trump. I don't think she got the first term because of Donald Trump, but after Donald Trump won in 2016, he could have easily replaced her. He didn't. Could have easily replaced her in 2018. He didn't as president of the United States, as the leader of the party. Now that he's not president, he has less of a say, but to sit there and try and claim that Ronna McDaniel somehow establishment and Harmeet Dillon with Trump is non-establishment is to deny reality. And so much of what Republicans are engaged in these days are seemingly denials of reality in a lot of ways. It'd be nice if they came back to Realville just for a second, because that's where you win. That's, now, Democrats can win in, in BSburg. Republicans have to win in Realville. That's how you counter BSburg. And you can't do that when all your ammunition, all your weapons are pointed in a circular shape. It's just me. I think I, I could be wrong, but I'm so infrequently am that I doubt it. In uh, other news, though, the, the president's going down to Arizona. And he's not going to the border. What's weird is uh, the historic Karine Jean-Pierre. She's historic. Did you know that? I think you knew that. The historic Karine Jean-Pierre 
was asked whether or not Joe's going to go to the border. Will he ever go to the border? And she lied a week and a half ago saying he has been to the border as president. He hasn't been to the border. He's never been to the border, actually. There's no proof anywhere that anybody can find that he's ever been to the border. But he doesn't give a damn. So they don't they don't press him. The media doesn't press him on it. It's amazing watching these um, press conferences, if you can call it that, by uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the historic Karine Jean-Pierre. It shows what contempt the White House has for the media, for any questions, uh, any serious questions. And it shows what contempt the left-wing media has for the American public, that they don't ask any questions about these things. Uh, hey, Twitter's dumping a whole bunch of documents that show that you guys, while you were in the uh, campaign mode, were working with Twitter to try and silence the Hunter Biden story. Uh, no, no questions about Maybe Fox asked about that, but that's it. No questions whatsoever. Meanwhile, this from Fox News today, President Joe Biden said Tuesday that he hasn't visited the U.S.-Mexico border because, quote, there are a lot there are more important things going on, end quote, despite traveling to Delaware 59 times and stopping for ice cream eight times since taking office. Isn't that lovely? Biden defended his decision to skip going to the border while in Arizona telling Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey, quote, there are more important things going on. An invasion of this country. If you know somebody who has lost their lives or nearly lost their life to a fentanyl overdose or really any opioid overdose, that is a direct result of Joe Biden's failed border policy. But don't worry, Joe Biden has says there's more important things to do, like he likes, you know, chocolate chip ice cream. So he's got that going. Biden made the defense while boarding Marine One to travel to Phoenix ahead of uh, semiconductor manufacturer TSCM's announcement to increase its uh, chip investment in the state to $40 billion. It's always amazing. They, they used to follow this up. What, I don't know what TCM uh, or TSMC's, com- I don't know what that company is, but let's check in on them in like two years. Because what do we see? We saw... Obama go out to Solyndra and then uh, like a year later, Solyndra, he's like, oh, Solyndra is wonderful, doing great things, the best. Then Solyndra goes out of business like a year later, leaving us on the hook for billions of dollars because they were big donors to Democrats. I assume that uh, TSMC is a big donor to Democrats. That's how you get a visit from the President of the United States. But during the Trump administration, they did this too, where they'd go, oh, we'll go to this factory, we're announcing that this company is investing $10 billion in this state. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the media doggedly followed up. And if that investment hadn't happened inside of six months, the stories would start, whatever happened to that investment? that the president announced was going to happen. Whatever happened, whatever became of that, where did it go? Even, you know, they ignored the ones where the investments did happen, but companies changed their mind. Business environments change. This is why you should never get out over your skis as a politician on these things. But that's just how the world works. You make, you know, the old joke, you want to make God laugh, make a plan. But, they don't do the same thing when there are Democrats in charge. The Solyndra story, I believe, was discovered and followed up on by 
Judicial Watch or Citizens United, one of the two, not the New York Times or anything like that. It's barely reported by those outlets relative to the importance of the story. That's just how things work. So it'll be interesting to watch TSMC and see whether or not they actually do invest this $40 billion because it sounds great. And if you're investing $40 billion and you're a publicly traded company, it might be one of those things like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I should look into that stock. It could help lift up stock price. I don't know for sure. But if it's a timeline of over the next 20 years, we're going to invest this $40 billion. It's not exactly breaking news or anything. And if it's say, we're going to invest $40 billion starting in 10 years, and then we're really going to expand, does the current occupant of the White House deserve credit for it? And will they then get the blame if they deserve credit for it if it doesn't come to pass? No. Instead, Joe Biden, he has more important things to do. He's got to go out to Arizona and take credit for things over which he had nothing to do. And then there's this one, also from Fox News. The U.S. Department of Defense, this is Joe Biden's will. The U.S. Department of Defense is spending $91,000 on diversity and inclusion seminars for the Air Force Band. That's right, the Air Force Band. The DOD awarded the contract on May 6th to the Black Pearl Chamber Orchestra in Philadelphia, which will provide the training for the Air Force Band, which has 184 active duty members who are all going to be assumed to be racist, one must assume. That's why you need to have a diversity and inclusion seminar. According to the website, the Black Pearl Chamber Orchestra's mission is, quote, to take the audience beyond spectatorship to participation in the musical experience by combining artistic excellence with cultural diversity and innovative community engagement. So... I guess we're now going to, what, get uh, 23andMe or Ancestry.com swabs from the cheeks of all members of the Air Force Band to find out whether or not they are diverse enough to continue to serve in their capacity as trombonist or whatever? Good God. Quote, this is, uh, I believe it's from their website. Yeah, it's from the Black Pearl's website. Black Pearl Orchestras, or Black Pearl's Education and Community Engagement Activities are unique because they offer audiences unprecedented and direct access to the musicians and conductor, the orchestra's website said. Quote, these award-winning programs were created by Maestro Johnson, who believes that giving audiences, regardless of their level of knowledge, the opportunity to reach into an art form for more direct experience is the best way to engage them and judge them and demand that uh, people be hired and fired based on their skin color. Now, that last part isn't on their website. It's in the subtext. The same orchestra received a $100,000 grant in June from the National Endowment for the Arts using funds from President Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan, quote, to support personnel and facilities expenses in response to recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. It is a good time to be running this orchestra you never heard of up in Philadelphia. Actually, it's a good time to be anything tangentially related to government parasite class in Pennsylvania in general because 
This administration will be throwing our money at you nonstop under the guise of, oh, it's grants and it's for diversity or it's because of COVID or it's because of this and continuing education. It's for the arts or whatever, because they'll keep throwing that money at you because then what happens? This orchestra, which I don't know what an orchestra has, 50 to 100 people in it, this orchestra and then the supporting people around it have become government grant dependent. Now, maybe they were financially viable beforehand. I doubt it, but maybe they were. But if you suddenly got a big raise, you would, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, I would dare to say that within a couple of months, even really, but maybe definitely in a couple of years, you would then begin living paycheck to paycheck again. We have, as human beings, a capacity to live at our whatever water finds its own level we we find a way to go oh i've doubled my salary now i can double my expenses i can eat better i can go out to dinner more i can upgrade my cable tv service i can buy a new house that's bigger and has more property i can buy a new car finally upgrade it you find ways to do it it's not a slam i'm guilty of it too but it is reality the difference is when you do it in the private sector, it's up to you and you need to bust your hump and do your job and make sure you keep your job. When it is government grants, you have to understand on which side of the bread has the butter. It's the Democrat side. Democrats are giving you these grants. And so what? You vote Democrat. You end up telling other people to vote Democrats. And suddenly you have this entire taxpayer-subsidized army out there extolling the virtues, maybe not expressly sometimes, although sometimes expressly, but certainly indirectly. And if you're creating diversity and inclusion training for an orchestra, I suspect, uh, don't hold me, well, you can hold me to this, I don't care, but I suspect that your diversity and inclusion seminar for $91,000 I suspect that was created expressly because, hey, there's a government grant out there for this stuff, for this garbage. All right, let's start one and see if, or let's see if we can get a grant. And if we get the grant, then we'll have to find a way to start one. Well, that seminar, I imagine, well, no, a, a seminar like that would normally not exist under ideal circumstances in a sane world run by sane people. We don't live in that world. We live in a world with Democrats in charge right now. So you get these things. That seminar, I imagine, would be, you're a racist. Here's how you not be a racist. You need to hire more people who look like this and fewer people who look like that, which, if that's how the private sector wants to run itself, I couldn't care less. When you're dealing with the military, even in a band level, it becomes problematic. And this is the real problem with Democrats being in charge of the military or being in charge of anything, but in particular, the military. The military is designed expressly to strip you of your individuality. You are part of a unit. That unit is going to be called upon to sometimes, hopefully never, but likely will be, to do things that are wildly dangerous, that are wildly dangerous, that will put lives at risk and will likely cost lives. You don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. But if you're part of this unit, you don't want to let down the other members of your unit. They are your brothers and sisters in arms, etc., etc. And so you do it. If you are not seen, if you are trained to no longer see yourself as a member of that unit, an integral part of that unit, regardless of 
who you sleep with or what your skin color is. Then what? Then you're a bunch of individuals out there. And suddenly it becomes, it goes from a cohesive unit working because they don't want to upset, they don't, they want to accomplish their mission. They want to uh, make sure that their brothers and sisters in arms are taken care of, are protected. They don't want to let down their, their fellow soldiers to a whole, it becomes survivor. Becomes a whole bunch of people screwing people over. Hey, we need to go take that hill. <laughs> Tell somebody who I'm not going up there. That's crazy. Yeah, but we're all gonna we're all gonna go. And then you got half the people going. I'm not going up there. Well, if he's not going, I'm not going. Who the hell are these? That's crazy. Don't you see? They've got the the advantage of the high ground. If we go marching up that hill, even if we try and lay down some some mortar fire to clean it, it's a it's insane. Imagine trying to orchestrate the D-Day invasion with this mentality in the military. of We're all individuals, and why, by golly, you are nothing but your skin color and your gender, and we've got to celebrate diversity rather than competence. We've got to celebrate this instead of the things that really matter in combat. What We'd have never gotten off the shores of England. Forget getting over to France, getting killed on the beach. We'd have never gotten off there because people would go, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's, that's insane. If you got them on the boats and they start hearing the bullets rattling off those those personnel carriers, they're like, don't, don't put this ramp down. I'm not getting out of here. No way in hell. You guys go. If you guys want to go, go ahead. Well, you're letting down your team. as not my team. My team is my skin color. My team is my ethnicity. My team is my sexual orientation. My team is all these other things. My team is not all of these people. No way. You've divided people to the point that you really can't function as a cohesive unit. They've done so and tried to do so in society, and it's worked on college campuses because young people are more susceptible to this garbage. And now they're trying to do it in the military. The result, you sit there and you say, well, this is just an orchestra. No, this is just one part of this plan. Oh, we must celebrate diversity. The military is spending more time fighting misgendering, fighting wrong pronoun use, and uh, fighting for trans rights than they are planning to fight for, uh, you name the opponent. You name the objective. It's how sick these people have gotten. And this is why, really, the country is at risk in 2024. 2022 was important, and thankfully, although barely, we accomplished our mission to take at least one House, one Chamber of Congress to stop things from getting worse faster. But the next one is really for the whole ball of wax. It really is. That's how important it is, and that's how scary things are right now. And this is just another symptom of that. Oh, by the way, uh, Time Magazine announced their person of the year. And once again, I mean, I granted, not very many people win it twice. But uh, as a former winner, I was not chosen. I won in 2006 when uh, Time Magazine named me person of the year and when they named everybody person of the year with you. Remember that stupid cop out? Like They put a little reflective thing on their monitor on their picture of the computer you you are like why don't you just you just say you got nothing just say you got nothing. we're we're skipping it this year instead of a gimmick 
But you know what? I put it on the resume. So what the hell are you going to do? But yeah, the uh, Supreme Court, we talked about this yesterday, the Supreme Court here in the case about the uh, web designer, the Christian web designer, the writers, well, she's anti-gay marriage, she's a homophobe, who doesn't want to be compelled to engage in work for uh, an institution that she doesn't believe in that she believes is against her religious beliefs and the left just can't seem to wrap their minds around this it really is amazing there's a difference between you know they say well what if uh what if a macaroni and cheese artist remember that clip what if a macaroni and cheese artist said that they don't want to serve black people um really i don't first of all i don't think anybody you don't want to serve me because of the color of my skin i don't want to eat your food but secondly you're making you're not dictating the ingredients as the customer you're not dictating the ingredients of the macaroni and cheese right you're not dictating the as the customer said i would like this five cheese macaroni and cheese but i i want a seventh a sixth and seventh cheese added and i want to substitute two of the other cheeses then the chef would go well get bent that's not how we do it that's not then it would be a different story but the left can't understand the concept that uh, making designing a website is an active as an active participant in an event that you find religiously objectionable is something that they shouldn't be compelled to do they don't what they really want is to destroy the concept of freedom of religion see when it is the other way around when the shoe is on the other foot things are completely different or if the pumps are on the other foot, the high heels. Kirk Cameron, actor from Growing Pains, right? Kirk Cameron, everybody knows who Kirk Cameron is. Maybe you don't know what he's up to now. He makes a bunch of uh, Christian movies that are wildly popular amongst a very small segment of the population. They're not massive hits, but they're making him a ton of money because you can produce a movie for like half a million bucks and you can make you know five million bucks off of it. That's a pretty good, it's not burning up box office records doesn't even get released in theaters but you know it, it's a live it's a hell of a living i'd take it well fox news reporting it, with a new children's book out that celebrates family faith and biblical wisdom actor writer producer kirk cameron cannot reach scores of american children or their families in any u.s cities via the public library systems because over 50 public libraries have either outright rejected him or not responded to requests on his behalf the story hour program for kids and parents connected to new book releases is an activity that many libraries typically present to their patrons and communities. Many of these libraries that won't give Cameron a slot, however, are actively offering drag queen story hours or similar programs for kids and young people, according to Cameron's book publisher and according to a review of the library's website and current programs listings. So, you can go out there with your genitals hanging out of a dress and makeup and prostheses and what have you because that's celebrating diversity somehow. But extolling Christian values, no. Now, what does the left say about these store, drag time stories? Well, you don't have to go. You don't have to go, but, you know, you don't, you don't. 
That is a pretty good argument in favor of it. Why doesn't that work for Kirk Cameron? See, the difference is Kirk Cameron isn't trying to... You can, you can look at the drag queen story hours and be objectively go and recoil in horror going, you're sexual. It's sexualizing Winnie the Pooh or whatever the hell they're reading. Uh, the, the content of these books is sometimes worse. You're sexualizing kids in one way or another. Why are you doing it? What's wrong with you? You can't look at Kirk Cameron and say, you're sexualizing children. You cannot like the message. But you not like, you just don't go. And then you're not objective. You're not nobody who doesn't want to be is subjected to the message. A kid isn't old enough and probably isn't given a choice and certainly doesn't understand what the hell's going on when at four years old you've got a dude in a dress with fake boobs and everything hanging out there sitting down. So if the parents want to subject their kid to it, it's different because you're damaging that kid. You're not damaging the kid by exposing them willingly to what presumably is the parents. Look, if you're not a Christian, you're probably not going to be all that interested in going to Kirk Cameron's book reading. Pretty simple, pretty basic. But because you're a Christian, because Kirk Cameron is a Christian, you're not going to be given the opportunity to not go to Kirk Cameron's book reading. The story continues. Some library programs promote gender fluidity, inclusion, and diversity. Others offer name change clinics for older teens and adults who want to alter their official paperwork for gender identity reasons. Brave Books, Cameron's publisher, shared the details of the story hour requests and the rejections uh, received to date with Fox News Digital exclusively this week. Rochambeau Public Library in Providence, Rhode Island, for instance, told Cameron and his book publisher by phone, quote, no, we will pass on having you run a program in our space. We are a queer, friendly library. Our messages, messaging does not align. Now, Kirk Cameron's books, and I'm unfamiliar with Kirk Cameron's books, but if his books are all fire and brimstone about how them gays are going to hell, then, okay, I could get it. But if it's a simple matter of, uh, you know, man and a woman, that's the way it should be, then tough. Tough, okay? You want to say, round up the pickup truck, get the boys and go beat up anybody who's you think might be gay, which nobody would publish that book, nobody would write that book, then I'd be all in favor of you going, you don't want to have this guy. The problem is, he's, saying, he's not saying, you can be whatever gender you want, it's all good. We'll accept you, except if you're a conservative, then we don't want you. That's the problem. You're funded by taxpayer dollars. Same reason you have in the cities where liberals sue on town halls across the country. You've got the nativity scene, and then you've got the menorah, and then you've got some Kwanzaa display, and then you've got the Church of Satan display, all up there. So they they either go, well, we're not going to have anything because we don't want to put up with that crap, or they have all of these weird displays because some leftist has nothing better to do with their empty lives than try and mess with other people. It's interesting. It's interesting. On its website, Rochambeau Public Library promotes a regular offering for young people called Queer Umbrella. And here I thought that keeping rain off your head was one of the straightest things you could ever do. It's, quote, a club and safe space where teens can learn, discuss, and connect over queer history, art, community, resources, and more. The listing spells out. Oh, I didn't realize that there was queer art, 
queer community research. See what I'm talking about when you talk about the military and they want to divide and divide and divide? How can any community, how can any neighborhood, how can anybody work as a cohesive unit with other people who are different from them when Democrats are told not just, oh, celebrate diversity. They're not really told to celebrate diversity. They're told you are your diversity. That's all you are. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. It's a sickness. But if the left is wildly upset that some web designer might not want to design a website for a gay marriage, but would still design you know, websites for gay people wanting their businesses designed. Whatever. That's, see, that's the marriage part that they have the objection to. Then it's because it's wildly discrimination. And why haven't you heard of this story? The Daily Signal has this story. It's part of the uh, Heritage Foundation. A Virginia restaurant told the Family Foundation that it was no longer welcome to dine at the establishment because the organization's views on abortion and traditional marriage. Right. The Daily Signal spoke with Family Foundation President Victoria Cobb on Monday outside the Supreme Court as the justices heard oral arguments in the 303 Creative versus Alinus case, the case I'm talking about. Cobb shared that about an hour and a half before the Family Foundation party was scheduled to take place in a private dining room at Metzger Bar and Butchery located in Richmond, Virginia, the restaurant announced that it was, quote, unwilling to serve the organization. Quote, they did a little research, found out who we were. We are unapologetically pro-life and stand for traditional marriage, she said. Cobb said the owners of the restaurant then called and informed the Family Foundation that it was no longer welcome to hold an event at the establishment. Say, you know, it's religious discrimination. It's discrimination. It's public accommodation. Why isn't Lester Holt and the hairdo David Muir, why haven't they been dispatched to Richmond to cover this story? Quote, they seem more than willing to defend their ability to deny access to food. That's, I think, the stunning part about it. We'd like to think that in America, even though we have political differences, even though we don't see the world the same way, we'd like to believe that we can all dine in the same places, Cobb said. No, you can't. Leftists have their own set of rules. Quote continues, Metzger, uh, this is according to the restaurant. Quote, Metzger Bar and Butchery has always prided itself on being an inclusive environment for people to dine in. In eight years of service, we have rarely refused service to anyone who wishes to dine with us, they said. Recently, we refused service to a group that had booked an event with us after the owners of Metzger's found out that the group of donors to a political organization that seek to deprive women and LGBTQ plus persons of their basic human rights in Virginia. We have always refused service to anyone for making our staff uncomfortable or unsafe, and this was the driving force behind our decision. So it makes you feel unsafe, does it? It makes you feel uncomfortable, does it? Well, what if a drag queen makes somebody uncomfortable? Could you then deny your drag queen brunch at a restaurant if drag queens wanted to have a brunch there? Say, no, no, no. You make some of our staff feel uncomfortable or unsafe. No, the left would go absolutely insane. But it's because it's conservatives supporting traditional marriage. You haven't heard of this story. You won't 
hear of this story. You won't hear the outrage over this story. They simply don't give a damn. They're on the team. That's it. And they're wearing our uniform. What the hell do we care? Those Christian bigots, those monsters, anyway, they deserve, they get what's coming to them. They get what's coming to them. But bake me a cake as fast as you can. I won't make you dinner. We don't serve your kind around these parts. See, Democrats have always sort of been that. It was a time, it was your skin color. Look, black guy, we don't take kind of your type around here. Get out of here. We don't want you in here. Now, it's the same attitude, just a different target. Democrats have never changed their objective. It was all about division. Divide to conquer. So they've never changed their objective. They've only changed their tactics. I say it all the time, but I only say it all the time because it's true. That's exactly what's going on here. If we had a Justice Department that was worth its weight in uh, fecal matter, they would be all over this. That is not the case anymore. Say many of the staffs, restaurant staff are women or members of the LGBTQ plus plus community, said the restaurant. Well tough. The the proprietor of this website design company is a Christian. The proprietor of Masterpiece Cakes is a Christian. Well you see the difference is Christians are evil and gay people are a protected class. This is the problem with when you take it beyond concepts against discrimination and say you can't discriminate against this group or that group or this group or the other group. Well, guess what? The groups you don't name, implicitly you can discriminate all you want against them. It's exactly how the left wants. They choose their favorable groups. And, you know, granted, if, believe me, if one of those groups, if any of those groups in a majority begin to step out of line begin to behave in a way Democrats do not approve of, they'll find themselves being excluded by the Democrats and their concern. Oh, they they had to pay lip service to the anti-Asian hate. We don't like anti-Asian hate. We condemn all hate. That's they had to water it down. We condemn anti-Asian hate and all hate. It's just terrible, terrible, terrible. Meanwhile, too many Asians vote for Republicans, or more accurately, don't vote for Democrats. And so what? You get their elite schools discriminating against Asians and a Democratic Party establishment that just said we condemn anti-Asian bigotry because they had no choice. There were too many videos of Asians being beaten up on the streets of the cities they control. They can say that and then they'll remain silent about the wholesale discrimination against Asians in schools. They can watch San Francisco as they shut down a school for gifted, brilliant children because there are far too many Asians in there. Well, I thought it was Whitey that was evil. No, to Democrats, the people who don't obey, it doesn't matter who they are. They are evil. If the Hispanic vote continues to break for Republicans the way it has and continues to grow to break for Republicans the way it has over the last couple of elections, continues to do so going forward, expect Hispanic Americans to fall under that, well, we just, we'll just start to ignore their problems. We'll start to tolerate discrimination against them. Mark my words. Mark my words. It will happen. The loyalty the Democratic Party shows to certain groups of people in this country is directly in line with the amount of 
loyalty and vote from those groups of people the Democratic Party gets. If you think that they're anything more than transactional giving a damn, regardless of the skin color of the person involved in it on the Democratic side, you are insane. You haven't been paying attention. That's why you need to keep listening to this, because that's what I pay attention to. By the way, happy uh, Unity Day, right? It's Unity Day. You didn't probably know that it was Unity Day. It's probably because you're a monster, one of history's greatest, and uh, how dare you? How dare you not know it's Unity Day? But it is Unity Day. Now, what, pray tell, is Unity Day? You're a sane human being. You're an adult human being. You're sitting there going, what the freak is is Unity Day? It's a left-wing day. Every First of all, every single day is some kind of day. You can just you can probably declare it to be Hamburger Tuesday or something, and it shall become known as that. But when it comes to Unity Day, schools across the country are celebrating it. In fact, Anne Arundel County Public Schools right here in Maryland are celebrating it. And there's a good possibility that your schools will be celebrating it as well. Anne Arundel County Schools put out a press release, or a, a and actually it wasn't a press release, it was a statement home to kids, an email to parents about Unity Day. I guess yesterday was Unity Day, but whatever. No, today is Unity Day. It says, the email, Dear families of students in second grade. See? It's the cigarette company model. Hook them while they're young. As has been the case for several years now, we will join schools across the country tomorrow, December 7th, and celebrating Unity Day. This day is intended to allow students or allow schools to make a strong statement against bullying and in support of the ideals of kindness, acceptance, and inclusion. Students and staff will be wearing orange as part of their effort to engage in some classroom discussions focused on the topic of diversity. Wait a second. It's Unity Day. Hey, everybody, let's all come together unite and we're going to talk about diversity we're going to talk about our difference in the name of unity we shall focus on our differences how does that make sense to anybody well it doesn't have to make sense to anybody this is about indoctrinating your children nothing more to a left-wing agenda that's it in addition, it continues, there will be an age-appropriate lesson for our second-grade students that delves a little deeper into the ideals as a result of some recent interactions observed and reported by some second-grade students. The lessons will be delivered by your, uh, to your child's class by blah, the name is blocked out, our school counselor, using the book... All are welcome by Alexandra Penfold and a portion of a PBS Kids video focused on the topic of race and racism. Now, wait a second. What the hell is going on? What is happening? (laughs) It is my hope, it concludes, 
The activities this week prompt not only a better understanding for our of our differences, but a common commitment to realize that many more commonalities that exist among everyone at our school. Why would you focus on the differences then if you want to, we'll all come together on the things we have in common. Okay. Why don't you focus on the things we have in common? Instead, the left focuses on picking on scabs. Here's what we have different. Here, you know, uh, 150 years ago, before you were even thought of, uh, somebody who looked like you did something terrible to somebody who looked like that person. Uh-huh. So what? You you go back further, you'll find some the, the exact opposite. You, go, you look around, you can find whatever configuration of human being you want, being awful to whatever configuration of human being you find convenient to have uh, victim status applied to. You can find that. But the left only finds certain things useful. Concludes, I encourage you to engage your child in these conversations at home and to be included in our discussion to promote unity. Thank you for your support in this endeavor. Basically, this is going. Hey, we are going to tell you that you are a racist piece of crap, a homophobic pile of garbage, a whatever is convenient at any given moment, piece of junk. I hope you will continue this education of your children at home. If not, we might have to declare you an enemy of the state. You've been warned. By the way, do not post this on social media. You shall be destroyed if you do. Anne Arundel County Public Schools dated December 6, 2022. Now I did a little bit of just searching on the Internet. They've been at this for a while. Anne Arundel County Schools. Unity Day 2019. It was October 23rd, 2019. Now why the hell did they change it? Who the hell knows? Probably competing with some other trans engagement day or drag queen day or whatever day. Beat up a Christian, push him down a flight of stairs day. So on October 24th, 2018, schools and offices across our county came together to celebrate Unity Day 2018, an initiative of the National Bullying Prevention Center. I love, I love how they couch their bullying and their badgering and their harassment of people as we're anti-bullying, just like they couch their racism as anti-racism, just like they couch their fascism as it's anti-fascism. Like, no, wait a second. You're anti-bullying, and here you are belittling anybody who will not tow the liberal line. Well, no, it's because the liberal line is correct, according to you. No, no, it's correct, period, end of story. Uh, blah, 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 designed to visibly show commitment to fostering acceptance and inclusion and eliminate hate and bullying, especially by those god-awful, horrible Christians and white people and, right, and straight people and just everything. Look. Look, look. It's all the subtext. As part of the event, the National Bullying Prevention Center encouraged participants to wear orange as a clear indication of their commitment against bullying. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm wearing orange, therefore I'm good. Yeah, they encourage you to wear armbands to show your fealty to the Fuhrer. They encourage you to carry around posters of Mao to make sure that there's no ambiguity that you are you know, maybe opposed to Mr. Chairman. The left loves this stuff. 
The day was a huge success, with our schools and offices utilizing a variety of different creative methods to convey powerful statements. The efforts garnered the attention of the National Bullying Prevention Center, and the efforts of our schools were shared with other schools' systems across the nation interested in the initiative. We were very loyal to the Fuhrer, and then they sent us a, a plaque, and therefore we shall do it again. Our work to impart to children the values of kindness, acceptance, and inclusion continues every day. I am proud to tell you that we are not only repeating our participation in Unity Day this year, but we are expanding our efforts to include multiple observances to help ensure a more regular conversation about this critical topic. There you go, suckers. You're sending your kids in Anne Arundel County to school to learn? You're trying to get your learn on? Are you nuts? That's not what the school systems are in the business of, son. They are about unity. We're going to observe it multiple times. Well, that explains why it was October. Every month you have a unity. Wear orange. Obey. As part of Project Unity, our schools and offices took part, blah, blah, blah. It was the first, or wear orange days. Schools will participate the way that best benefits their student population and community, and I believe the message we send will be even more powerful than last year. It's powerful. We have designated the three ensuing early dismissal days on December 5th, February 12th, and March 24th as Project Unity Days as well. Schools will again create observances and events that best suit their needs and populations. And the professional development staff for uh, designated for that day will be aligned with this initiative. Oh, so apparently Anne Arundel County Schools here in Maryland are just, there are too many days in the course of a year where students are just being filled up with knowledge. But they have too much knowledge. The schools are too successful. So if they just shave off four or five days a year for liberal indoctrination, it'll be so much better. Anne Arundel County Public Schools has received many requests from people who want to show their commitment to kindness, acceptance, and inclusion on more than just our Project Unity Days and in more colors than just orange. See, there are leftist idiots everywhere. Go, no, wait a second. We've got to wear this color. We've got to wear that color. We've got to wear the other color because inside fascistic left-wing communist groups there are always factions. We are pleased to tell you that the shirts are now available in multiple colors. Orange is the color for this, but what about purple? What about the rainbow? What about the, if I'm just, I identify as a Skittle, you can taste the rainbow. Wink, wink. Sick. Orders must be made by February, blah, blah, blah. It is our hope that the ongoing dialogue around this subject will continue to help us create and enhance mindsets of kindness, acceptance, and inclusion that will carry far beyond the walls of our schools. <laughs> As we seek to stomp out hate and bigotry, let's continue to turn Anne Arundel County orange. Um, what, so they're saying that Anne Arundel County is just a bastion of bigotry right isn't that what they're saying my god it's just a pile of hate and the people who live here are awful unless you're gay unless you're bi trans whatever unless you're of a certain color then you're but everybody else is just awful and you must learn to obey now i wouldn't let these kids within a country mile of my children beat holy hell out of them now what by the way it referenced the uh, video 
that they'll be watching. I have the audio of a clip from this video. That's from PBS, so it's, you know, the schools, your tax dollars at work. PBS, your tax dollars at work. You say they're going, what the hell are they teaching these kids on Unity Day? Well, they're going to play them this video, amongst other things. Went to the Black Lives Matter protest. What do you remember from that? I remember we stood up and we held up our signs. Do you remember what our signs said? Mean. My brothers said peace, mm-hmm. and my mom said Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, and why did mommy have a sign that said Black Lives Matter? Because people aren't treating black people fairly. That's right, and that black people need to be treated as fairly as everyone, right? Yeah. I went down to the Black Lives Matter Plaza, and I protested in the rain. Really? Tell me about more about that. What types of people did you see down there? I saw a lot of black people, mm-hmm. a lot of white people. There were like a thousand people there. Wow. Mm-hmm. I took a stand. I was kind of nervous because I didn't really know what could happen. Mm-hmm. But then when I went there, I was like, oh, I feel great. That's great. I just want it to be equal so everybody can just have a good life. I agree with that, right? You know what that's called, what Arthur did? A sit-in? It's a sit-in, right. A sit-in is a, is a type of a protest. He wasn't supposed to wait there. He was supposed to go to class. Do you think that it is ever okay to break rules? If there is something that's unfair going on, then you can break rules because that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Oh, now these are kids with their parents, their left-wing parents, all filmed, paid for by your tax dollars at PBS that are now being shown in Anne Arundel County public schools in order to indoctrinate children to a left-wing, this country is horrible, racist, blah, blah, blah. Black Lives Matter. Hey, what about Black Lives Matter? Uh, everybody sort of disappearing, that organization. And the money going, Where? what happened to all that money? What about that? No, 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 no. What about the fact that it was always a grift? And always a grift based on a lie. Based on a lie. Hands up, don't shoot, never happened. How about, you know, you, you sit there and you go, Black Lives, we're going to take to the streets for the, uh, what, the, the red unicorn we find of some poor SOB, junkie, druggie, whatever, being killed unjustly by police. But we're going to ignore the thousands, literally thousands of black people killed every year by other black people. Because black lives matter. I mean, only some black lives. Only the black lives that can help Democrats matter. Why don't you just call that organization that? The leftists who give you money, Nike still roll you a $10 million check. and They don't really care. They're in on it. They're all in on it. The NFL would still go, you know what, uh, We'll still have BLM Day at the stadium. That's cool. They will. They're down with the cause of liberalism. You think the cause is Black Lives Matter? No. That's the vessel. That's the tunnel. That's the delivery device. Period. End of story. Just like you think You think popcorn is the purpose? No. It's a delivery device for butter and salt. Black Lives Matter is this current version of delivery device. You can tell that by the fact that when reality doesn't matter and when the wheels came flying off, nobody said anything about it and nobody stopped.
Nobody gave a damn because it's about liberalism, not about any particular bastion of it or any branch of it. As today is Pearl Harbor Day, we still have some other things to get to, but as today is Pearl Harbor Day, I want to make sure that I play this because I try to play it every Pearl Harbor Day. Just like on uh, like D-Day, I'll play the announcement of D-Day. There are certain specific historical days, particularly as related to World War II, that I like to mark. There's World War II, there's audio. World War II makes it easy to mark because recordings existed at the time, so it's easy to do. You can't really do World War I all that easily because there ain't a whole lot that uh, was around audio-wise at the time. But on uh, December 8th, 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt went before Congress and asked for a declaration of war. Over the attack on Pearl Harbor, the naval base in the territory at the time of Hawaii, by the Empire of Japan. Now, I want to play, play this not only because it's important to remember history, and we're sadly losing far too many World War II veterans, very few left. It's been a long, long time. We're looking at, what is that, 80, 82 years ago, 81 years. It's been a long time, and you've got to figure the youngest World War II veterans were people lied about their age at 15. So you're looking at people that are approaching you know, mid-90s to 100, so they're clearly... Sadly, aren't that many of them. Thank God we had the technology that exists so we could record their testimonials before they pass. Same with the Holocaust survivors. We could record their testimonials before they pass so that they will live on. And history might, probably not, but might learn a thing or two from these people. In fact, sadly, so much of what the left is trying to do is trying to destroy, bury the lessons from these people, you know, about... uh, masculinity. Without masculinity, World War II, we'd all be speaking German right now, right? We would. But now masculinity is toxic masculinity. Masculinity is just bad, okay? Masculinity is bad. Nobody's saying that you have to be masculine, right? It's not, you know, what's weird is they talk about toxic masculinity all the time. All the left, it's toxic, toxic masculinity masculine men we're not out there going look at those people over there they're not masculine at all we'll beat them up now they do that in movies usually written by people who are not very masculine about all these bullies and they just go after anybody who's different anybody who's even slightly effeminate these toxic masculine bullies go and beat them up meanwhile real masculine men are hanging out with other masculine men they're playing sports they're talking to women they're working on oil rigs and doing jobs that uh, somebody sitting behind a keyboard, as somebody who does now sits behind a keyboard and a microphone, that they would never be able to do. My past is littered with jobs that uh, a Chris Hayes would not know what to do. He'd end up, by lunchtime, if he had to do the roofing that I did under the circumstances I had to do it, by lunchtime he'd be over by an air conditioning unit crying, texting his mother, asking for permission to quit the job. That's just how it is. Now, I didn't spend my time throwing 500-degree tar at the Chris Hayes of the world as they rode their bicycles past the roofs, the, the factories we were burning down. They sure as hell weren't working inside either. I didn't bother with them. 
He could ride his little basket banana seat bike with the little tassels off the handlebars all he wanted. I couldn't care less. I was busy earning money and living my life. But sadly, he's spent his life and people like him have spent their lives working nonstop, obsessing over people who shower because of work rather than for work. Chris Hayes was continuing the tradition of late night TV just being awful was on with the, well, whatever, we'll get into it. Anyway, I want to make sure that this gets played. So let's hear the speech. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense. But always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. I believe that I interpret the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph 
So help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. And there it is. That was the speech. Direct, to the point, unambiguous, dare I say riddled with toxic masculinity. Today that would get you drummed out of the Democrat Party. Sad to say, but true. As we wrap it up today, just want to touch on a couple of stories here. This one from CNBC. If you think things can't get bad or can't get worse, they are getting worse. The media is sort of ignoring it. It's weird. Anything, any sign of trouble anywhere in the economy was, it's another sign of doom and gloom. During the Trump administration, during the George W. Bush administration, they tried to talk down the economy. Now they're desperately trying to prop up the economy, almost with more vigor than they're trying to prop up Joe Biden. CNBC, Walmart stores across the U.S. are grappling with an uptick in shoplifting that could lead to higher prices and closed stores if the problem persists, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan said Tuesday. Quote, theft is an issue. It's higher than it has historically been. Now, how many times have you seen footage of these people just walking into stores like they're a reverse Santa? They're a Robin Hood Santa monster just throwing stuff in their duffel bags going absolutely crazy and what do you get you get employees standing around going don't do anything the most recent one was that apple store i think in was in california well the guys are running around and they're ripping display units you got to rip them off the security tags and they're just ripping the here's an ipad here's iphones they're just taking them now all these things devices theoretically could be tracked electronically they could theoretically be remotely shut down be ruined they probably won't do that but at any point with these two goons going around ripping off some employee some customer could have decked them grab them whatever you get these guys in a full nelson pop a shoulder out maybe whatever take them to the ground pretty damn easily and prevented this but the employees are going don't do anything don't stop anything just let them go let them go let them go and people continued to shop at these goons were going around ripping stuff off because they're more afraid. Look, the prosecutors won't really go after the people committing the thieves, but they will go after the store employees, and then they'll have a civil case on their hands if anybody dares hurt one of these dear, sweet, delicate goons who are robbing them. It's the saddest thing about society today. You should be rewarded. You should, like, if you hit somebody upside the head, break their, shatter their knee with a baseball bat as they're robbing your store, tough on them. They're going to walk for a limp for the rest of their life and the entirety of their prison term. That should be justice. It's not anymore. So then you have this. Fox News, a Philadelphia gas station owner fed up with incessant crime threatening his employees and customers hired heavily armed security guards to watch over his business. Good for him. Neil Patel, operator of Carco with a K, gas station 
at Broad and Clearfield Streets in North Philadelphia recruited Pennsylvania Sight, S-I-T-E, agents with, clad with Kevlar vests and AR-15s or shotguns. They are uh, forcing us to hire the security, high-level security, state-level, Patel told Fox 29. We're tired of this nonsense. Robbery, drug trafficking, hanging around, gangs. Well, in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner isn't going to prosecute people for drug offenses or shoplifting or anything like that. So then you end up with what? People having to act on their own. How do you think that's going to work out for anybody and everybody involved? Certainly not good for the citizens of Philadelphia. But the Democratic politicians don't give a damn about the citizens of Philadelphia. And why would they, honestly? The citizens of Philadelphia are going to, like very obedient dogs, vote for Democrats anyway, come what may. Why would they care? This is what you get when you are slavishly loyal to one political party, particularly a political party that holds you in contempt and hates the country and the system that it exists in. So progressive. Anyway, that's enough for today. I'm sure this will come up again, sadly. We're out of time, though, for today. Probably going on too long. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll be back here to do it all again tomorrow because, like I always say, the stupidity never stops. They don't take a day off. See you then. Thanks. Thanks.